0: Selling recreational cannabis is a big business. What you might not know is the price varies wildly. It goes up and down. There's dry seasons and hot seasons. What do you do when your customer walks in and the price has doubled? How do you build a business with that kind of fluctuation? We're gonna hear a little bit from a terrific lady who's exactly wrestling with that problem. So you've been in business, you think you know what you're doing, Everything's going well, and then some fancy guy walks in and tells you he knows better and brings his whole team in to overtake your business. How do you get rid of a guy like that in his team? And how do you build your confidence so you never let it happen again? I say it's called letting a fox into your hen house. We're going to talk to one young woman who's about to boot that fox out. Hi,
1: Barbara. My name is Azaria, and I own a recreational dispensary in the state of Oregon. My question is, is, how do I maintain my customers' loyalty and happiness with fluctuating price points in our inventory? Most companies can set us at cost because they're buying their inventory at a set cost. But in this new industry, our costs and our price points for buying our inventory is always fluctuating. For the last four years, I have never seen a consistent market trend with the price points for us to buy at, making it hard for me to keep price points specifically to sell at. How would you manage keeping your customers happy without entirely eating the cost for the sake of keeping it consistent? Thank you, Barbara. I
0: love your show, and I listen to everything that you post. Azaria, nice to speak with you in person, eh?
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. You're such an inspiration. I listen Podcast in the morning on the way to work. My wife says you're the only other woman I'm allowed to pay that much attention
0: to. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't make her jealous and tell me a little bit about your business first, area.
1: Yeah. So I own a cannabis dispensary, a recreational dispensary located in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, with our business comes its complications. The cannabis industry is brand new and in its infancy, there's instability with supply. Mm. As Retailer here in Oregon, our struggles include dealing with a dry season for at least a quarter of the year, which unfortunately is during our busiest time of the year for sales. Mm. That's the part of the year where it's very hard to find product. Our costs nearly double. That's a lot. For wholesale purchasing, yeah but we can't double our prices for consumers because customers expect consistent pricing. Mm. And then at the end of the year, we completely have the opposite problem. We're flooded with product. We live in what's known as the Emerald Triangle, where nearly 80% of the country's black market supply is generated here due to the climate, mm-hmm. but that also drives legal sales down immensely. Not only do we compete with the black market, but we're also competing against the customers themselves because they have their own harvest at that time. Mm. And as far as wholesale purchasing goes, our costs are its lowest points during harvest because, like everyone else, vendors are also harvesting. Oregon messed up licensing way too many growers, so the market's very competitive. But Because of the 280E restriction on cannabis tax filing, we get hefty taxes on any remaining inventory at the end of the year because cannabis businesses can only deduct cost of goods sold having inventory at the end of the year. It takes away from any write-offs we have.
0: The essence of your business problem as area is that you have fluctuating supplies and therefore fluctuating prices, yet your customer expects a consistency. So they know if they're buying this particular package from you that they're going to pay a similar price and not have sticker shock like, what? Why are you charging me so much? Is that what it is?
1: Yes. I've tried to increase my gram prices by even just 50 cents and it was uproar.
0: (laughs) Really? So let me ask you a few more questions so I really get the lay of your land. The competitors that you have, do they wrestle with the same issue? I would think they would have to.
1: I would assume so, yes. I mean, it seems like it's the entire industry. I don't really get to speak with any of my local competitors much. I've sent them flowers, but haven't gotten returns
0: At least you're a good sport about that, right? Have you ever shopped your competition to see how they're handling the same issue?
1: Oh, Barb. So you would love this. One Mm -hmm. of the ways I've managed dealing with the price fluctuating and to stay competitive. We look at the price of every single local competitor for each item before it hits the floor. I created these little things called CPR cards, which are standard comparative pricing reports. And we place those cards that list our local competitor's price next to our price, next wow. to every single item in the store.
0: They must love you, your competitors, that is.
1: I think they hate me. <laughs> of
0: course. It's the best compliment in the world when you're being successful in what you're trying to do it in business, without a doubt. You can actually make the claim legitimately to your customer that you'll get the very best price here, no matter what's going on outside your shop.
1: Affordability is one of our highest values that we focus on. It's why I got into the industry is giving people access to affordable, safe scent.
0: But of course, you don't want to give affordability at the cost of not making a profit on your goods, right? You don't go that far.
1: No. So I have on occasion, the dry seasons have hit where, you know, we're literally having no one to sell us flour We've eaten into some of our profits in order to be reliable retailers and to keep the customer's faith in us during dry season. You raise your
0: prices there as well as area during dry season by how much?
1: I did it by 50 cents and it was a pretty big uproar from the customers.
0: And you said 50 cents on what base price? What percentage increase?
1: Our cheapest gram goes from $3 up to $5. At that time it was $4 and I increased it up to $4.50 and $5 and it was some, uh, like I said, backlash. People were unhappy, but at the same time, our sales have still been consistent. And so, it might have been the customers were just unhappy, but this is something that's ongoing and replicates each year. So it's something I would love to be able to get a grasp of handling better to make sure that I'm keeping the customers happy and learning how to communicate that in the best way that I can.
0: Well, you mentioned the magic word in this, which is where I was thinking as I'm listening to you, it's not ever in business so much what you do, but how you do it. I think everything is about communication the messaging that you give your customers. When are you dealing with your customers? Is this in person, face-to-face, over email? What is your means of communicating now with your customer?
1: We're direct, face-to-face. We give them tours when they come in mm. and we give them educational lectures when they come in to try to cater the experience to them. Mm-hmm. How we're communicating it right now, we've done cute little marketing pictures where we've put on our wall that newsflash, our costs have doubled. did you notice yours haven't? We're trying to also keep them updated with what's going on in the industry, but let them build appreciation at the same time to see that we are honoring our value of affordability. Mm -hmm. We've actually been rated in Oregon's top 10 for four consecutive seasons, and I really do believe it comes back to being the most affordable. Mm
0: -hmm. I think probably it's not just that it's the most affordable. But I think it's also that you sound to me like you really care about that customer and they probably pick that messaging up from you every time they deal with you. Is it you they're talking to when they come into your shop?
1: Yes and no. My office is really close to the retail room and I can hear everything. In fact, the staff makes fun of me for it. I'll often come out and answer a question that the staff might not be able to answer. But before the staff even goes on the floor, I've created a custom training program that puts them through three weeks of training for cannabis information and knowledge so that... They can answer the questions and really direct the customers the best of their capability. When I was 25 is when I opened this company. But before that, I was working for a really unethical dispensary.
0: And you learned the difference of being ethical or not, right?
1: Oh, my gosh. It was so terribly ran there. Most of the dispensaries in California were more black market ran than mm-hmm. really professionally ran. So when Oregon released in the radio that they were going to make it recreational, I quit school. I was studying business at the time. I pitched to a, a business investor and I moved within four months to Oregon to do Good for you. the dispensary I always wanted to shop at as a customer.
0: Okay. It sounds to me like you found your calling. You're going to be in this business for a long time. And if I was a betting girl, I would bet on the fact that you are going to be probably the most successful among your competitive field. And I'll tell you why. Because you're starting at a very good place, which is you're concerned about your customer. That's at the heart of your business. I don't know if you noticed, you didn't say a single word about quality of what you're selling, what your shop looks like. You have your eye on the most important ball, which is you want to keep your customer happy. I have a few thoughts on that. Number one, I think you've got to get over the fact that not everybody is happy, okay? I say that from the point of view that when I was building my business, I probably spent the first three or four years of that really killing myself to try to make every single person happy to be absolutely perfect. It was exhausting, but what I learned from that is trying to make the customer happy, not perfect, is an admirable goal to shoot for. So I think your heart and your head's in the right place. You are also obviously concerned about communicating your messaging to the customers. I can't see those charts you're talking about, but I keep visualizing if you're educating people as they come in, you have your office tours, you have well-educated personnel who can continue your messaging accurately. I think you probably really need to re-examine how you're communicating the message that prices fluctuate. Would it make any sense? And it's hard for me to say from where I'm sitting here because I can't see your shop, but I could picture you having almost a Dow Jones industrial average, like on your wall where you actually chart I can visualize you becoming the source of what's going on with pricing across your industry, not just what you sell in the shop, but that you could establish under your shop name, the index of grass prices or whatever is the right terminology for something like that. Maybe brainstorm with your staff as to come up with a few labels for that. Then I think it would be wise, honestly, if you published it actually as the source. I think you'd get publicity from it. I think people would see you as the Individual who's on top of pricing, and also when people come into that shop, I could see that index, so so to speak, a grass index, is showing when the best time of year is coming up to buy grass, so that you're giving the good news. Next month, we really expect prices to go down. Right now, they're very high. Next month, they're going to come down. But three months from now, they'll probably go high again. So you totally inform them, not in a way of justifying what you're charging today, but putting it in an annual context. Because you do have an annual context from what I just heard from you. There's an up and a down and there's a pattern to all that. I think if you can communicate that as an expert and let it be up to them when they want to buy their grass, I mean, if they're coming in and your prices are extremely high because you're in the dry period, you could have that on that chart dry period and you could show actually how the prices fluctuate. The other one thing I think you have a claim for because you said you were smart enough to shop your competition and you know exactly what the competition is doing, I think you could make a guarantee. If you can find your grass cheaper anywhere else, the same variety of grass, then you find it here will match that price. I mean, that's such an old trick in all marketing, but it's very effective and that's why it keeps going on. I keep calling it grass. I'm not in Oregon. Is that what people call it, grass?
1: That's okay. Okay. Uh, That's an old school word for it, definitely. But as far as that, that's amazing advice. We can compete and we do do current price matching on topicals like lotions and edibles. Mm. As far as grass goes with the cannabis, every grower grows it differently. So the percentages and the strength varies immensely. So Mm. it's the one thing in the shop that we can't price match on because it might be way lower potency at another shop compared to ours vice versa, just really tricky in the industry. But you
0: know what? I think because you're such an honest person and a very particular person, so concerned about the view of your customer, I still think you can make a broad claim and say, we guarantee that we will give you any of our product at the rock bottom price, guaranteed. As long as you inform them about the fluctuations in the market and really think through how that could be communicated in one snapshot picture. You know, it's great to talk people and explain it away, but it can border on sounding like an excuse. Like, this is why our prices are high. These are our excuses. I think if you put it in a context of the annual ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of market pricing based on supply, people would maybe read it a little differently. Let's say that that is successful with eight out of 10 of your customers and you still have a grumpy person coming in and grumping and grumping. They're not going to get it any better anywhere else. You know, no one's going to sell product at a loss. And I hope to God you don't love the customer enough to do that. Because I can tell you something, it never makes sense in business to sell anything at a loss. I think changing your own attitude that you'll make 80% of the people happy and you'll communicate in a much more visual way might help people to see the general picture a little bit better. That would be my best advice advice.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I wrote all of this down. I'm very excited to implement it. Barb, would you mind if I asked you one last question? Not at all. Okay. My partner and I have decided to go our separate ways and we're actually putting up on the market. And Mm. so this is the first time in my life, you know, being in my twenties, I'm going to actually have a large lump sum to invest and move forward with.
0: Why sell the business? You're in love with that business. I think you're crazy.
1: I am in love with it, and I didn't want to. But the thing is, is that the market value for licenses and businesses alone for cannabis are so high. Like, we only put 180000 into it, and our listing price is $1.2. And with that being said, I have the option from arbitration to buy him out at 50%, but I've been underpaid a fair market wage for the last three years because of my eagerness to get into the industry. And I agreed to a rock bottom wage getting into it because I really wanted the opportunity to prove myself in the business. Like I said, the business was rated in the top 10 for four seasons, but That made its value go skyrocket. Mm. And I don't have half a million to be able to buy him out. But what that does mean is I'll at least get that to move forward with my own project. Now, I have two ways I can go with that. and I'm just wondering what you would recommend based off of listening to me and now knowing a little bit more about my background. I have a high risk, but a high return option. You talked about how I love communicating the prices and how I should do it more. And this is what that is.
0: May I ask you something? A more basic question. Yeah. Why wouldn't you buy him out and pay him off over time? Are you 50% of the partnership?
1: Yeah. The arbitrator didn't give me the right to pay him off over time. Why not? told me I had to just buy him out because he was trying to force me to sell completely.
0: Was the arbitration binding on you, Azaria?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah.
0: Jesus. Breaks my heart.
1: I learned from it, but like I said, I'm going to have this lump sum and I can either play it safe and go and do another dispensary, which to be honest, Barb, there's only 30,000. And although we have eight competitors and our numbers and sales have still doubled because we were one of two in the beginning, it's very low return compared to
0: Couldn't the dispense- you, May I ask you something? If you have to pay him out, which is poor negotiation, you can't get another partner to put up the money for the, his half of the business?
1: I haven't met someone else that I feel I could trust to work with again.
0: Why don't you advertise for a pure financial partner? You've got a great business by the tail. You know what you're doing. Your wild ass enthusiasm comes across on the phone. And for you to start it again at higher prices ain't going to happen so easily for you. Why wouldn't you look for a financial partner dying to get into the business? Why change it?
1: In other cities where portals are open, like, for example, in Los Angeles, we were doing $20,000 easy a day mm-hmm. in this small town of Oregon, where it was recreational first. So I came up here to get my footing and to get my financial leg to move forward. We're lucky to do three to five thousand. So you would rather
0: go to a city where you could do a better job?
1: I would rather go to a bigger city where I could spend the same amount of money, but have.
0: Well, I think you have your answer. And I like that idea. I'd rather you keep what you have. But if you stay in the business, I think you'd be loving yourself for making that decision. I I think it's terrible if you leave it.
1: You don't think doing a big risk, big win bidding platform for hemp and cannabis? would be worth it. There's no one else doing that right now in the market. And a lot of these hemp farmers don't have anywhere to sell their product.
0: You know what I would suggest? First of all, I can't really advise you option A or option B. I I can tell you if you stay in the business in another shop in a better town, you're going to do very well. That I could hear. So far as the other opportunity, my only advice to you would be, what does your gut say? Listen to your gut If you think there's something there and you can't even define clearly what it is, but your gut says this is a great opportunity, then don't waste a second doing it. Just go and do it. Your gut is never wrong in business. You're a natural born entrepreneur. You should trust your gut. And let me know where you land because I have total confidence that you'll land in the right place.
1: Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate all of your advice and I've got multiple pages of notes.
0: Okay, and I wish I had another two hours to spend with you, honestly, Azaria. But thank you so much for giving me your time.
1: Thank
0: you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love, my friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show.
2: Hey, Barbara. My name is Lisa, and I'm going from being a solopreneur to being a entrepreneur who has a team, a C-level team, creating my own new product, getting it manufactured. And I've been struggling with going from being a solopreneur to working with others in a corporate manner, not knowing business etiquette. I've generally worked from home with my toddler. I have a very happy kind of outgoing personality. And I feel like sometimes I just am not taken seriously and my intelligence might not be realized because speak or because of business etiquette I'm unaware of. What would your suggestion be for preparing myself to be taken more seriously as a strong woman in the entrepreneurial space? Thanks.
0: Hi, Lisa. It's Barb.
2: Hi, Barbara. It is so nice to meet you and thank you so much for inviting me on.
0: Oh, my pleasure. You know what I really liked about your question is I hear lots of women ask a version of it again and again. So I think it applies to a lot of people. So by you having the question, I think you're going to help a lot of the listeners, which I, of course, I always want to do so many women seem to question themselves as to are they being taken seriously and how do they improve themselves so that they could uh, be perceived quite differently. And I think that's at the root of your question as well. I have a few questions for you so that I could get a better lay of the land, okay? You said that you're now a co-founder. I assume you were originally the founder of this business and could you tell me what your business does?
2: Well, right now, Our product, which is my patented invention, because I had so much success selling other people's products, I decided, well, shoot, I got to sell my own. (laughs) It takes the expense, the permanency, the risk, the recovery time, and the pain out of certain medical cosmetic procedures. Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Like Botox, for example.
2: Yeah, or a Brazilian butt lift. So everybody wants that big butt and women are dying. Mothers are dying. didn't know that. It's a very risky procedure. It's been making news how it's as risky as gallbladder procedure and uh, people are dying so they can look in the mirror and love their curves.
0: Okay. So this was the business you started. You have a solution for that. Is it some kind of a cream? You don't have to tell me exactly how it works, but I'm just curious. Is it a topical ointment or something like that or a change in medical procedure? Vastly different.
2: It is actually neither. It falls under fem Technology Garment. So tech wear.
0: Mm, amazing. And I
2: found a great manufacturer to partner with. We've got our pitch deck, we've got a mock site and a business plan. But for some reason, the dynamic with the team is kind of dragging along. I'm not sure if it's because I'm the youngest, because I'm female, Mm -hmm. because they all already have much more success. I wanted to be the guy that surrounded himself with all smarter people to help me grow.
0: That's admirable and takes a good deal of confidence. Good for you. Most people don't do that. May I ask you, you mentioned, I think, in your question that there was a co-founder. Do you have another founder that is your partner on this? It goes
2: back to that age old saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. So (laughs) I thought I better get some co-founders, offer them some equity who are already more successful. And so I started networking. I found a great CMO. He has multiple companies. He's got a great following and we're launching and co-authoring a massive book that's launching this November with over 50 digital entrepreneurs. It's going to be very successful and a bestseller.
0: Is that why you brought him in as a co-founder so that you could market a book together?
2: No, I was actually offered the spot in the book before. And Mm. when he became my co-founder and I felt, wow, this is a great guy. He sees my vision. And he was even then offered to bring in his partner as my CTO. And then he introduced me to my COO.
0: you got a co-founder. And then he brought in his CTO and also brought in the COO. Are they full time in your job or are they an advisory board?
2: They're an advisory board. And so they have definitely been more advising than uh, kind of in the trenches with me.
0: Is that what you expected when you invited him in? Or did you think you were going to get an operating partner who's going to be in the business day in and day out?
2: I thought I would get an operating partner, but I was well aware that he has a lot of other projects going. And I love him. He's a great guy. I was hoping he would be a lot more active and I want to move at the speed of light. I sold my other corporation. I'm going all in on this business. I kept 51% equity in the company and I divvied up the rest equity, which is a lot. Yeah, I feel like I gave out a lot and now I don't feel like I'm getting much in return. So I love these people, but they're very busy. I'm not sure how to approach them and say, hey, I need weekly meetings. I need more speed. I need to be taken seriously. This is my baby for the next five to 10 years. This is going to be my billion dollar baby. I need you on board. Are you in with me without upsetting the relationship or hurting the dynamic?
0: Yeah, I think I can help you here. Let me ask you, do they already own 49% of your stock or does it vest over time?
2: We just incorporated a simple LLC and we just put them with the 49 divvied up evenly and me with the 51. We haven't even put in any other legal writing. So I thought, well, if they really aren't in on it, maybe I could restructure, create a new business and say, I'm going to incorporate separately and go my own way since you guys just aren't available, which doesn't mean I don't love them and think they're amazing because I do.
0: Who controls the patent?
2: I do. It's in my name.
0: And it's not in the other corporation that you set up where they control 49 percent? Nope. Okay. You don't mind me just speaking very directly, right? Saves time. Not at all. You've got to get rid of them, the whole bunch. And I'll tell you why. And about how you do it is something I'll mention just in a minute. But let me tell you why you have to get rid of them. People who act as advisors, even if you had hoped that they would really be knee-deep in the mud with you and be there accessible when you ran into this bump to give you great guidance, I get it why you would do that. And sadly, it is very often what women do when they doubt their own ability and get somebody really experienced, almost always male almost always male really is it a female led team that comes in and then they bring in all their men. It's kind of like their team comes in and plants themselves in the business. Whether or not the team is on the outside or on the inside, in a way you're lucky that they're not in your office because it would even drive you more crazy. Okay, you might think that would be nice, but as long as their interests are spread among many interests, you can never get from them what you were dreaming about getting. They're just advisors Their people want stock options and they have good intent, but it's just not the right fit for you. You shouldn't have a single thought in your mind about how to communicate better, about how to have a corporate structure, some of the things you mentioned. You should really just see your business as an extension of your own personality and that's good enough so whatever your communicating style is however you run a team whatever kind of passion that you like to communicate as you wish should be good enough for anyone who works for you the problem with getting somebody really experienced from a corporate environment is they're too goddamn fancy and not that they designed themselves to be fancy but their experience made them fancy and so their suggestions never really fit anyway how do I know this for fact? And why do I feel so strongly about it? Because I invest in businesses every day of my life. I work with entrepreneurs day in and day out who, very often, early on the stages, will bring in heavyweights, they call it like heavyweight people. Whoa, who do they know? Name drop? They yes, are just amazing. Yes. The fancy team that's come into your business, you've got to get back to basics. The main thing is you realize that you created something that has value. If it didn't have value, none of these people would have been attracted to it. The second thing is you've got to get rid of them. Okay, now how do you get rid of them? You get rid of them by nicely saying, I've changed my mind. You don't have to worry about being a bad girl. You don't have to worry about upsetting them. I could just hear in your voice, you're a lovely woman with a good deal of power, but you don't have to keep that sense of I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to change my mind. I don't want them to think badly of me. Leave it all behind because you're the one that controls the gold. You thought of the business. You own the patent. It's your baby. So, it's almost like trying to keep your neighbor two houses down the street happy about your kids. What does that have to do with them? It's your baby. You take the charge, you're responsible for it and make it in your own likeness because that's what got you going. And when you lose that, I have seen so many businesses go off the rails, slow down, you lose your entrepreneurial edge. It's one thing. If you create your own team that necessarily aren't smarter than you, they might have a gift that's a little smarter than you in this way or a lot smarter, like they're great at finance and you're not. Great, great team member. But you should never bring in people that you think are smarter than you, period, are smarter than you, because no one's smarter than the entrepreneur that had the concept and birthed the child. That's where the real smarts is. That's what created something from nothing, okay?
2: I've got another question for you, too. If I want to pitch to a board of directors that own a holding company. How do I get in front of that audience if I am say, OK, goodbye, all these people with their Rolodex and their connections? How does just me go in with no Rolodex or connections? I mean, where do I
0: start? What are you pitching for? Why would you want to meet with them?
2: Well, I'd like to pitch for a round of investors.
0: Where are you living now? I'm in the San Francisco
2: Bay Area, more in the suburbs. So, but close to Silicon Valley, but I'm femtech. It's not actually tech. Mm
0: -hmm. Why don't you ask these big shots to make introductions for you?
2: I have. They want to make sure I have my MVP and everything done and then I've got it and I'm waiting and they're busy people.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not going to happen actually. Are there women's groups that invest in Silicon Valley? There generally isn't any major city. Women that like to invest in female businesses. Oh, I am
2: sure that there is. And it probably would not be difficult to find.
0: No, because what they want to do is they want to hear lots of pitches and invest their monies. That's been a huge help to women who are entrepreneurs who don't do as well in the old boy network. Not that you wouldn't, because I'll tell you, your communication style is just what everybody really wants in a founder and CEO. But you have to leave behind the fact that you might be inadequate in any regard. It's really more of a confidence game, honest to God. I I could relate to you in one way. Of course, I wasn't in your field at all. I was in the real estate field. But when I wanted to meet the big developers in town, I was a nobody, a blue-collar worker with no staff, no this, no that. I generally found that persistence and research was probably my best single trait because I was always finding a way to get to who I wanted. It wasn't until years back I looked back and realized I could have had a half the IQ I had, but the idea that I knew how to persist and and get to who I wanted to get was more responsible for growing my business than any other talent I had. But you have a patent, a needed service That alone stands on itself. And you're a great communicator. Just get access. Find a way. I have no doubt in my mind you'll get access. I would like you to really think of yourself as having the whole package. You don't need anybody anymore. You just don't need anybody. You need investors, clearly, if that's what you want to do. But you don't need other people to make your business fancy. All that fancy lingo, all that corporate stuff gets in the way and ruins more businesses. You have a clean communication style. I'm persuaded. I'm like in love with you and I I meet billions of people. But if I could be persuaded in a short conversation to think, wow, this chick is hot shit. How many other people could be persuaded just as you stand on your own two feet? I
2: think it's endless and I feel so confident and empowered and I just love what you're doing to empower so many women. That's and on this podcast. You deserve it. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'll be looking forward to hearing great things about you.
2: Well, thank you so much, Barbara. I am going to take actionable steps to work in this great advice and push forward at the speed of light because I know that I'm going to make this happen.
0: Good enough. Just get that Dear John letter up and get those monkeys off your back.
2: All right. Thanks, Barbara.
0: Okay. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline. 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.